0: The experience for a lot of bright, talented, spiritually intelligent people wanting we have a deep desire to fit in, to belong. And yet we are here as way showers, as lighthouses, as leaders in the next chapter of this world that we're creating as we speak.
1: Spirituality gets a lot of side-eye these days. And admittedly, some of it is pretty well deserved. Things can feel a little bit floaty, a little bit out there, and more than a little weird but I promise it's not that crazy. It just needs to feel a little more human. And that my friends is why I'm here. I'm your host, Caitlin, and my goal is to take the super woo and bring it back down to planet earth. Whether you're spiritually curious, spiritually closeted, or just a spiritual seeker who's itching to take things a little less seriously, there's something here for you. This is a Soulfire Productions podcast. Hello again, wonderful humans. Welcome back to another episode of the show. It's me, Caitlin, (laughs) as I'm sure you know, but whether it's your first time tuning in or whether you have been here for a little bit, I'm so glad to have you. So grateful that you're here and I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest on the show, Dr. Robin McKay. I had such a great time speaking with her. There were, of course, so many synchronicities to our journeys, but she was also just an incredible resource i think whether or not you are already kind of immersed in spirituality or whether you maybe consider yourself sort of a fence-sitter maybe more skeptical on the logical side of things i think there's going to be so much in here for you because like myself robin definitely bridges the gap between spiritual and scientific she holds her PhD in counseling psychology did all sorts of research and as you'll hear in the episode um and she primarily works with very high achievers like fortune 500 leaders executives spiritual entrepreneurs she is a global expert on human potential so she is just a wealth of knowledge and one of the things that i love that she says is i can work with your intellectual abilities and your emotions but i can't help you to truly transform unless i know your soul and oh my goodness that's so deeply resonated with me i definitely think that this is a missing piece for a lot of people um, when it comes to you know high achievement without all the hustle the grind and really feeling fulfilled and in your purpose and on purpose and all of those things so I think you're really gonna enjoy this episode. We talk about kind of the experience both of us had being a very highly intelligent but also highly tapped in young person and, and what it was like to grow up, some interesting differences between our stories there, but also what spiritual intelligence is and how spiritual intelligence relates not just to you know, high achievement in your career, in your purpose, all those things, but also how it relates to mental health and how it's a really uh, important component there as well. Uh, we definitely talk about more than that. So I'm really, really excited for you to dig into the episode and to listen. She is so much fun and I, I'm i just going to let you get into it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Robin and I'll see you on the other side. We are rolling. Well, welcome Robin. I am so excited to have you here today. I'm excited
0: to be here. I was listening to your intro to your podcast last night and so excited because I know there are going to be so many synergies and aha moments as we talk together.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to dig in. I'm, this, I'm thinking of the second episode that I released talking all about like what does it actually mean to be spiritual? What does spirituality really mean? I literally just said that, but <laughs> but I think it's so distorted the way that you know, the perception of it has grown. Um, I won't get too far into that now. But anyway, I feel like we're going to be so aligned. So I cannot wait to dive in. But before we get to know you and dig into all the good stuff, I have two questions that I start out with for all of my guests. The first one is what is something that you are absolutely loving lately? This could be a product, a practice, really anything under the sun. Well,
0: I have been I use um, electrolytes in my water every single day. And I'm loving that. I heard about it a couple months ago and it was just something that I I work out. I'm an athlete. I take really good care of myself and I was still feeling like there was something off. And now my body craves electrolytes. Like it's a sponge. So I'm loving my electrolytes and my
1: water every day. Love that. What brand do you use? I use element. Oh, me too. It's the best. I probably have like 17 a day. (laughs) Oh, they changed
0: my life. I do too. I love the watermelon and the raspberry and that um, mango chili. So good. So I just, and I talked to, to all of my clients about it as well. I think that it's just so important for us to really pay attention to how much water we're putting in our body, but also the quality of the electrolytes that we're putting in as well. So that's one thing.
1: Totally, and and how they're being utilized too. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but my background is in um, functional and integrative nutrition. I have my master's in that, so um, I'm all about the you know biochemical physiology, all that kind of stuff. So I love that. And then, second question is, what's something that you are super fired up about right now?
0: Oh, what what's the bee I have in my bonnet? One bee. I have a couple, but I one of the bees I have in my bonnet is how it's become very trendy to talk about yourself or refer to yourself as a trauma-informed ex, a trauma-informed business coach, a trauma-informed life coach, whatever it is. And I think that, and there are some people who genuinely are highly trained to deal with trauma. And there's, as you know, there's so much trauma in this world right now. The whole world is basically founded on trauma. Uh, But I do think that it's very important for people to seek out experts, people who are expert in managing transforming trauma rather than just somebody who took an online course or is somehow, somehow went through their own trauma and now says that they're trauma informed. So that's a bee I have in my bonnet. I have a background, you know, I have a, I have a PhD in psychology. I'm clinically trained. I do executive coaching now. So people don't come to me for trauma, but I'm well-equipped when something pops up because usually that's the missing link between where they are now and what they want to actualize in their lives is there's a trauma response happening that I'm well-equipped to deal with. But even I am somebody who, if, if something feels like it's out of the scope of my practice or out of the scope of my business, and I can't support that person, I always reserve the right to refer them to people who specialize in trauma recovery and transformation. So that's a bee I have in my bonnet.
1: I think that's so important and absolutely just speaks to your integrity in what you do. And just as a human being, which I think is so important because it is true with trauma, with I feel like so many things, it's so widespread for people to, you know, I did breath work once and now I can teach people to do breath work. or I you know have my own trauma and healed it and now I'm going to support others in healing trauma like it's it's it is so much about the integrity with which you offer your services there I mean absolutely agree that there's a difference between going through it yourself and actually having the tools the actual training all of that sort of thing to claim that title and you know perhaps there's a way to "Quote unquote," market yourself that you know your experience experienced in moving through your own trauma, and I don't know. Even that feels a little sticky to me. But yeah, using the actual title and the terminology without actually having the legitimate training to back it up, uh, I think that's really that's really important, and for people to be aware
0: of too. It is the discernment. It is it, and it is discernment. And I and I think that and it's, listen, everybody has their own path to get through the trauma to get through just life is really hard, but, uh, I just think that I'm somebody, I don't refer to myself as trauma informed anything. And yet I'm more than well-equipped to support people through that. So I just, I think that it's a real sketchy area right now that we have to take a look at professionally, the coaching community. I'm not for, for, over-regulating anything. I think that that's what got us into all of this shit show to begin with, the over-regulation and the, the vows and the oaths that we take to our fields, to our practices and so on. But I do think that even if it's an individual monitoring and discernment, I love that word that you use, to take a look at, am I actually qualified? And the truth is that even the most highly qualified trauma therapists have supervisors, they have mentors, they do their own work in addition to sitting with other people in their trauma. So that's the that's my two cents on that. Be it that I've got in my bonnet.
1: Yeah, I mean the continuing education piece is so important too. Like I personally would never want to be coached or mentored by someone who's not also being coached or mentored and continuously expanding their skills and their knowledge base and all of that. Like it's that's so important to me and I think it's important to, you know, underscore that for people who are looking for practitioners like if you think you know everything, like that's a big red flag for me. So totally appreciate. Don't you think too,
0: that don't you think that we're at a place in the world right now that we don't want to work with somebody who's one or two steps ahead of us. We want to work with people who have mastered that area. At least I do. And the high achievers, the high performers that I work with certainly do as well. So whatever that marketing was that was going on five or 10 years ago around like, well, you just need to be a couple of steps ahead of your clients is like that went out the window circa 2020, I think was really kind of the turning point for who we actually want to work with, who we want to link arms with, who we want to be shoulder to shoulder with as we go through this great transition that we're in.
1: Yeah. And that makes me think of a couple of things. So, you know, in my experience, both being coached and being a coach myself, um, two things that I'm thinking of. The mentor on a pedestal or the coach on a pedestal where like they're the all knowing and, and they're going to guide you down the exact path that they took like that just doesn't work for me. I feel like it's I took this path, you know, here are all the tools I learned along the way. Now I'm going to walk with you on your path and whatever comes up for you, whatever roadblocks you're coming up against. I have these tools. I can support you as I walk alongside you with all of these tools that I happen to learn on my path. So that's one piece of it. And then the other piece of it is the mastery I think can happen like in an instant, almost depending on what your path and your journey is. I I've seen it both in myself and in my mentors and in clients, like all ends of the spectrum that I think there's this perception that mastery always has to take a long time. And I, I don't necessarily always think that's true. I think it can be, but I think that, you know, this idea of like quantum leaping, like it literally can change in an instant and, and you can get that mastery, like snap of a finger. So I'm curious what you think about that. I
0: never thought about that before, but here's what occurs to me is that, you know, I have a background in counseling psychology. I've focused on gifted and talented girls and women. My mentor and I wrote a book, that won some awards when I was finishing grad school called smart girls in the 21st century. It's all about the psychology of talented girls and women. So I have a really deep understanding of the, the interaction between intelligence, which as you know, as a neuroscientist intelligence at a very basic level is just processing speed. It's how fast do the signals travel through the nervous system? The more myelin you have on your, on your nerves, the faster, the more insulation you have, the faster those those uh, impulses will travel. So we look at intelligence, we look at creativity, which is a separate but related construct. And then to your point about you can make these quantum leaps in a second, when you have a high intellect, when you are a creative personality, sometimes that mastery is just an inherent to who you are. In other words, you think about like a child prodigy who plays the piano, for example. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that person plays so well already. And then you put a mentor in the mix and it's a refining process. It's a sophistication. There's a psychological maturity that comes along with it. But that innate native talent or ability is already intact in the system. And sometimes I think that's what good mentors, guides and healers will do is unfurl, help the person to unfurl their abilities to be able to see them in a new way and to be able to then actualize those into the highest potential.
1: Wow. I love that. That was such a beautiful way of explaining it. And even like the neuroscience piece, I'm so here for it. Wow. I'm like very, my mind just blown a little bit. Um, And before we get into kind of, I feel like that's a really good segue to a question I have, but I want to hear a little bit about you and your background first. And so the listeners are a little bit more familiar with you. Um, you've given us a, a couple bits and pieces, but you know, share a, a highlight reel of your journey and how you got to work with, you know, high-level entrepreneurs and, and all the things that you do now.
0: Sure, sure. So I always wonder where I'm meant to start my story, <laughs> <Same>. but
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I just follow my intuition with this. So I as I said, I listened to your, your first episode yesterday that told a lot about your story. And I was relating to that so much because when I was, I think I was five, I knew, I knew for sure, hundred percent, like there was nothing in me that said otherwise that I would be a doctor and that I would write books. I knew hundred percent for sure. So when I was five, I decided I was going to write a book. I took my notepad out. I had my pencil. I laid down on the floor in my bedroom to start writing a book. And I I realized in that moment, I I have nothing to say. And I was so appalled by this. Can you imagine? I know you can being five and being like, dude, like, I know I'm and nothing's coming out. Like, what is the problem? Not to mention, like, I was just learning how to hold a pen and write.
1: Clearly an old soul though, if you were Clearly. Like, I have nothing to say, <laughs> like existential crisis at five, <laughs> I, I,
0: I did. It was a little bit disappointing. And, and to your point, it was kind of an existential crisis. Like that, that followed me finding my voice followed me has followed me throughout my life, actually. So that was my first understanding about what I was supposed to be doing when I was very, very young. And I became a scientist very early as well. I got my first microscope when I was 10. I got it for Christmas and I was so disappointed in the light source. It was a mirror. And I was like, again, like what 10 year old thinks that? I just love <laughs> you so much.
1: <laughs> Imagine 10 year old Robin, like this isn't good enough.
0: Like- Ironically. And fortunately early in my career, I worked in biotech. I actually worked in a biosafety level three lab. So I was working with super dangerous microorganisms. And I got to use high powered microscopes and 10 year old Robin, hundred percent happy. She's like, finally, it was like, I needed the technology to catch up with my expectations.
1: Uh, Wow. That is incredible. Yeah. So
0: that, so I was a STEM girl, but I was also, I loved going to church. I remember The moment my mom taught me how to pray, something activated in me. She taught me, we're Catholic, and she taught me the angel of God prayer when I was, I think my sisters had just been born. So I was under three, but I still remember that very moment, something in me came online in that moment. So I had always been the super intuitive, dare I say psychic? Yes, psychic kid. Maybe you can relate to this. I remember being in elementary school and knowing when my teacher was going to give a pop quiz. Or knowing in high school, I got called into the principal's office, not for anything bad, but because I was to write an essay, I'd been invited to write an essay for a scholarship. I hadn't planned for it, didn't know about it until the secretary came to get me. On my way to the principal's office to write this, the whole essay downloaded. I wrote it, handed it in, and I won a scholarship. So I had all of these moments early in my life. And in fact, my whole family is very similar to me. We have telepathic conversations all the time that then suddenly somebody will say something out loud and everybody knows what they're talking about it because it's all been going on psychically. But we didn't have any words for that. Nobody said, oh, Robin, you're highly intuitive. Oh, Robin, you're spiritually intelligent. I didn't know what that was. All I knew is that that's how I function. So. Mom and Dad started getting divorced when I was a senior in high school. My heart was broken, like literally. I couldn't then. I couldn't write. Then I was so sad. Then I was so broke. I felt so brokenhearted that all of my my relationship with God, with my intuition, with my creativity, just locked up. And I wouldn't say it went silent entirely because I don't think that's actually possible. But it was definitely something that was. Came, went, I would say offline for me at the same time, when I got into undergrad, I got mono and I moved eight hours from home. So that whole combination of nonsense created a lot of anxiety, depression, the, any ADHD that I had when I was a kid, I was able to actually mitigate just through my intellect because smart girls can do that. Not because like we're trying to hide anything, but just because we can. So, with all of my resources dedicated to just managing the anxiety and depression, my focus was all over the place. And I remember being probably a sophomore in in college, I was majoring in biology, reading the biology text over and over again, the same paragraph, and thinking, I don't know what I just read. Maybe I'm not as smart as I've led everybody to believe. I graduated third in my high school class, got scholarships to college, the whole thing. Um, Maybe I should not want to go to medical school. Maybe I should not want to have these high aspirations because very clearly I'm keep reading the same paragraph over and over again and not, it's not registering. There's something wrong with me. So I went right into imposter syndrome and I want to take time out there. Cause I feel like I've been talking a lot and I feel like it's,
1: it's a no, conversation. It. <laughs> I'm fascinated. And I mean, I, I really do see so many parallels to our stories. Like I was always one of the smartest kids in my class. I was in the Gifted and Talented program. Got I think I also graduated third in my high school class, which is super weird. Got the scholarships, all the things. And what's different, though, about me is I was very, very tapped out for a long time. Um, interesting. My mom is very religious. You know, I grew up going to church with her, going to youth group, all the things. My dad is very much on the opposite end of the spectrum. So I kind of had both influences. But I can remember like just having a lot of what I would now describe as, you know, spiritual experiences, psychic experiences, psychic attacks, whatever you wanna call them, and being so terrified of them and being told that it's just in my imagination, it's just in my head, all the things. And so I very much shut all that down. And and I think that's when I very much swung to the logic end of the spectrum. You know, it got more intense over time that it was like facts only. And to to the, you know, spirituality piece, interesting with, uh, like, I had, I had a great time in church, but I there's, there was something that was non-resonant to me about that. Like, it just wasn't all of it. I would feel like I was pretending sometimes. And and perhaps now that I'm reflecting on it, that was because I had turned so much of it off. Um, So just interesting to reflect on that part of the ex- experience as well. But what I think is also, you know, fascinating about your story and, and what you were saying before about, you know, these, these really gifted kids who just, pop into the planet and they're like piano geniuses. It's like where does that come from? We're not taught that. Clearly as a 5-year-old, you know, you're not taught to like I'm going to write all these manuscripts and, you know, all of these insights and all the things like that comes from somewhere. And there is really no explanation other than your soul already pops into the body. At least no explanation that I can see pops into the body with this like pre-downloaded if you will. So yeah, curious your thoughts about that.
0: I always think about our divine and eternal selves as what I call an oversoul. And the oversoul has is multifaceted. and that conscious and I also think that the soul is consciousness. That's what really what we're talking about here is consciousness. So when you have a high level of consciousness and you combine it with a really fast processor, meaning your nervous system, you have these, what would seem to be breakthroughs or the psychological maturity or that reference that you made to being an old soul or being a wise, a really wise kid or being more, my mom's friends all, always commented on me and said how mature I was. And a lot of times <laughs> I remember same thinking, <laughs> I know, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, it just, it's real interesting how um, we get, sh- people always want to explain us. And instead of being in the mystery with it. And I think it's important for people who are spiritually intelligent. And I do want to get into what I mean about that to really understand themselves first. That was my big question is why do I feel so different from everybody else? That was a major one for me. And there was a longing also in me. I just want to belong. I, I used to say, I just want to be like everybody else.
1: I am literally a bobblehead. (laughs) This is exactly my experience. Mm -hmm, It's exactly mm -hmm. my experience.
0: And it's the experience for a lot of bright, talented, spiritually intelligent people wanting, we have a deep desire to fit in, to belong. And yet we are here as way showers, as lighthouses, as leaders in the next chapter of this world that we're creating as we speak. So by nature or by virtue of that, it's not possible for us to be so enmeshed with the masses. And I'm not saying that we need to be set apart, but we really do need to understand our the psychological maturity, this the energetic maturity that we come in with, whether you call us the indigo children or the crystal children or whatever, the old souls, we have this capacity to be able to see beyond the superficial. And to be able to understand things on a very deep level that most people either are unaware of because they're asleep or they just choose to shut down, gloss over whatever, because to your point, that psychic attack that we get when we're little kids and we get scared because there's a monster under the bed and people tell you they gaslight you, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what just it all is. in your head. They yep. gaslight you because they can't understand it. I wanted to share this with you when I was, so I have, um, I don't remember what the, it's a Claire. It's a Claire. It's one of the um, intuitive senses. So we have clairvoyance, clairsentience, claircognizance and clairaudience, clairaudience, clairaudience where you hear, but there's also one, like there's an olfactory sense as well. And I don't know what it's called, but I have that. And when I was a little kid, I would get, and it would freak me out because I, and I remember one time I was probably 16. I We had our windows open. It was summertime, and I smelled a really strong, masculine, sweaty, gross, icky, scary, threatening smell outside of my window. And I went to my mom and dad. My heart is pounding, and I say, "There's somebody outside of my window." Dad goes out and look. We live in a small town in South Dakota. Like, there's nobody. I'm, I'm saying, I'm kind of gaslighting myself in that moment when I say that. Well, there was nobody there, and they came back in and told me there's nobody there, but I still smelled that, and it was an energetic. It was an energetic. The interesting thing about that is that in my family, nobody ever made me wrong about it. Nobody ever made me feel like I was crazy or that I was making stuff up in my head. They, for whatever reason, I have a family who has always just believed me. And that has been one of the biggest gifts, I think, as I teach this and open up people to their own spiritual intelligence and explain what that is. Because I never had to fight against somebody telling me I was wrong or crazy or whatever, or making things up in my head, they were just always fully accepting of it,
1: yeah, that and that's so important in the journey, too. like I, I think there's two things that are really important for us early on, and I think this is to an extent true for everybody, not just those of us who are you know very tapped in from from such a young age, from the moment we enter the planet, if you will, but the Like being encouraged to ask ourselves questions about ourselves and explore ourselves and what makes me me and what do I value and you know what does success mean to me and what do I enjoy and like we're just funneled through this system like we go to school we do this we do that the extracurriculars we have to achieve like all of these expectations and there's pretty much no room left for exploring ourselves like who am I what makes me tick. Why do I feel so different? You know, are there other people like me? All these sorts of questions. And then the other piece would be to have people around you that can just believe you. Like, it's just, what, sure, whatever you're seeing is real. And I think that as we age too, and something that I see, like, I'm so passionate about bridging the gap for people between what feels very human and grounded and, you know, normal in society and what the spiritual, because there's so much in spirituality that is so supportive and i'm sure you are going to be a wealth of information on this for people so i'm so excited but there's this lack of openness because we've been kind of conditioned that it's crazy that it's not real that you know it's your imagination it's all the things when all it takes is an openness to having the experience you don't necessarily need to believe it until you have the experience like look i'm super deep in the woo and there are things that i'm like this sounds kind of bonkers to me but i'm totally open to having the experience and so yeah, to have supportive people around you. And, and you know, to be fair to my own family, like none of them really told me anything other than like, oh, it's just in your head. You know, they weren't like, you're crazy or anything like that. But even that's enough when you're so, you know, malleable as a young one um, to make it seem wrong internally. Um, so I think this would be a good segue to kind of talk about spiritual intelligence, um, kind of define that for people and then kind of Get the ball rolling from there. See where that takes us. I love that.
0: Flash forward to, let's just flash forward to graduate school, because this really sets the tone for the question about spiritual intelligence. For 10 years, from the time I was 18 until I was about 28, I was depressed, anxious, disconnected. I married my college sweetheart. Bad idea. Um, And one day I woke up. Like literally, like I was looking at a picture of myself from high school graduation, you know, with my cap and my gown and my bright eyes and my big smile. And I looked at that girl who I was and I was probably 27 or 28. And I was like, where are you? Because you're not here with me. Even though I had a good life, I was, you know, working in biotech. I got my nails done on Thursday afternoon, like the whole thing. It looked so sort of perfect from the outside. I was married. It called us Hansel and Gretel. We look like brother and sister. Oh my to God. My,
1: <laughs> Love that
0: my college sweetheart. And um, even so everything looked so perfect. And inside I was dying. I'm not sure I was dying of anything other than boredom, frankly, but I knew as I looked at that picture, that that was a turning point for me. Ironically, literally years later, I realized that age 28 is, I think it's Saturn's return. And when you turn 28, you really look at your soul comes in and says, okay, are you on the path that we planned here? And if you're not, it's time for a course correction. And it doesn't come around again until you're like 56. So you better get your shit together when you're 28. Otherwise you're going to get, you know, like there's a something major coming at 56.
1: I'm 29 right now. So I'm right in it. I totally feel you. <laughs> It's been a, it's been a roller coaster. <laughs> well, but good, yeah, but good, yeah,
0: because that tells you that your soul is shifting you back into your true north, so that you're actually doing the work that you're meant to be doing. So, I realize I can't be married to this person anymore who wants me to be a stay at home soccer mom. Like I hadn't gotten my PhD yet, even though I knew I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was a little girl. So I had all of this existential, I'm going to call it an existential crisis. It doesn't always rise to that level, but for me, it did. When I realized I was not living the life that I was meant to be living, and I had to make a bunch of changes. So after I divorced, I went right back and started graduate school. My master's in psychology, all of my teachers from my master's program were graduates of the University of Kansas's counseling psychology program, which as it turns out is a program that I ended up attending. But even as I was going through the formal education, I was also going through a major spiritual transformation. I had gone into therapy, discovered shamanism really started learning about soul retrievals. I did. My, my guides came in and taught me how to do a soul retrieval for myself when I was like 30. So I started doing this. And then I would go to my therapist who was open to all of the experiences I was having. He introduced me to a shaman. He's like, Robin, if you can do this for yourself, you can do this for other people. Let's get you some guidance. So right from the beginning, I had this beautiful mentoring around my own spiritual intelligence so spiritual intelligence, just to, for clarity, there are two pieces to it that I like to look at. One is spiritual intelligence is a capacity to alter one's consciousness in the service of yourself or another person. So whether you use hypnosis, meditation, the Akashic records, anything where you're shifting your brain state from beta waking state into alpha or even delta state of consciousness or something like channeling or something like doing intuitive readings. That's like the non around spiritual intelligence is the capacity to alter your consciousness. I've added something to that because I believe that for those of us who are spiritual leaders, who are, I call them light leaders, we also have the capacity to use energetic tools, spiritual tools, and practices in order to bring about real world transformation. So it's not just airy fairy high in the sky, use your imagination stuff, but it's literally actualizing transformation in our physical reality. So those are the two pieces for spiritual intelligence that I like to look at when I'm talking about it.
1: Yeah. I love both of those totally lands for me and something I think that would be really interesting for you know my listeners to get your perspective on. Um, I call some of them like spiritual fence sitters, Um, and and one of the things that has been reflected back to me so many times is, like, I have a way of like grounding things for them that makes them like stick around. Whereas I think for other people, languaging around it, you know, it's a little off putting. It's a little too out there. It's a little too weird. So I think for you, as someone who is so kind of one foot in both worlds, very similar to me, you know, PhD all the science background, all the things, but also so tapped in and has been having experiences like this, you know, for as long as you can remember, like just bridging the gap for people. Cause I think it's really hard. I think I've said this a couple of times, but just with the way spirituality has taken on this life of its own. And it's something that is so like upper chakras out there. It's, you know, people are speaking light language and like, I'm here for it. Like if you're speaking light language, go for it. But making it accessible and like bridging that gap. I, I'm curious to hear what you would kind of, or how you would language around that for the people who are like, I'm not totally sold on this and like, and, and like why spirituality is so important. Cause I think that that's a part that's missing too, is like, it, it feels crazy. So it's like, I'm not even going to go there. Like science proof. Cool. I'm good.
0: Right. And I think too, that sci- we've reached the point with science where science actually disrupts our lived experiences. All right experiential nature our ability to have our own experiences and make our own decisions so we sort of outsource our even our knowledge to this thing called science which is hard for me i i actually wrote a, pa- a post recently about and i wrote it from a recovering scientist i love that <laughs> that's so good i had to that was part of my identity that i really had to i made a a clear decision to retire her because the skepticism that I had to run everything through all of my, my experiences, I had to run through the lens of the skeptic. And it was like, you know, what a buzzkill. It's exhausting. Like let's, let's gaslight myself on this now too, please. Like not to mention like other people, but when you, when you really put science in between you and your direct experience, it can, um, create some disruptions in your flow, disruptions in your creativity, and certainly in your soul's development. So your question though, is about building the bridge. I always say I build the bridge between science and spirit, between reason and intuition and between people's heads and their hearts. And the pathway that I have found, the bridge that I have found is in the space of positive psychology, the science of positive psychology. That when I was in graduate school, that, aspect of psychology just really landed for me because the scientists, the social scientists were studying things that I cared very much about, like spiritual intelligence, like gratitude, like optimism, like hope, like meditation and mindfulness practices. So we have this beautiful body of research around positive psychology and optimal human experiences those peak level experiences that everybody to some degree seeks. We want to feel better. We want something. We want hope in something. So there was all of this data and research around these concepts that previously would have felt airy-fairy. And I remember when Sarah Palin was running for vice president, this was years, obviously years ago, And she called it against uh, Obama and she called it the hopey changey thing. Like, because Obama was running on hope and what's the hopey changey thing. And what positive psychologists actually did was really deconstruct hope and create a definition, a working definition and do research on that particular construct as they've done on so many other constructs around creativity, intuition, spiritual intelligence. So that's where I always start with people. Listen, I work with people in tech So I work with engineers, I work with physicians, I work with all the, basically all the grown up smart girls who have mapped into STEM fields. Those are my people. And so I've had to, from the beginning, find a common language that moves them because they get it. As soon as we satisfy the intellect and the intellect, by the way, is never fully satisfied. But if I can give the intellect some data to chew on, then we can, you know, Work on some other things besides what the facts are. As long as there's some kind of foundation, it gives permission to be able to explore the outer reaches of what we know, uh, the outer reaches of consciousness, to be able to understand consciousness in new ways, to be able to have experiences that are healing and transformative that may not fit into a box of what science would want us to think or do or be, but it's our lived experience. And I think that that's the most important thing. One of my teachers said one time that there's a fine line between being psychic and being psychotic. I love that. It's so good. But it has to do with how healthy your system is and how, what frequency you're listening to. And I wouldn't, if I were psychotic, I would not want to go there either, but my frequency is so high that the quality of the information that i get in my energetic and spiritual experiences is exceptional and probably it's the same for you so i know i just kind of pivoted there but that was just that was what was coming through as i was sharing about positive psychology
1: no i love it cuz i mean i feel like to your point about you know the the level of information that you're getting i feel like there's an innate level of discernment at play there's like an innate sense of boundaries um like since i was Young, you know, the experiences that I had then versus what I have now, when I tapped back in it's such a different level, like I feel like I just had that innate like, no, we're only we're only getting the good stuff that is of the highest level of light and all the things. So, yeah, I really resonate with that. And what's so interesting to me in the whole like, you know, science, like modern science, I'll say conversation, because I don't think that it's been this way for forever by any means, is the skepticism that you were talking about. like, for me. So much of science is and like what made me love it so much as a kid, like I love life sciences and all the things like, what do I not know? Like yeah. the openness and the curiosity and the questioning and like so much of what, you know, true science, quote unquote, is for me is like, can I prove myself wrong? Like just being open to any possibility, like gravity, you know, we think that's real, but like, what if we proven wrong? I'm not saying that gravity is not a thing, but you know,
0: it's just, What if? I mean, it's a good point. I mean,
1: there are, there are some questions
0: about everything that we've been taught. Is it actually true? And when you are really, truly objectively looking at the world around you, not from the lens of skepticism, but from, from through a lens of curiosity, openness, open heartedness, um, My part of my background is in mindfulness practices. And so we look at that sort of benevolent lens and just say, what's true for me? What makes sense for me? I'm not going to abdicate my power to somebody else. I really want to know. There are some times when you have to rely on experts in the field to be able to give you information. And you have to, if you're a scientist, you have the right and the ability to interpret that with spiritual experiences though i think the most important thing is let's stop making each other wrong about having them let's normalize the woo i had a conversation with an executive vice president at a tech organization he's a you know gen x white dude who's running this part of the organization he's got all of these women who are thinking about leaving Quite frankly, because of how he's continuing to do the, you know, the bro market, the bro stuff and the all the, all the nonsense that we're so over. And I had a conversation because one of his VPs wanted me to come in and to talk about optimism and hope and positive psychology and just give something other than let's go, you know, beat up the next guy and let's like run on that toxic masculine energy that is so still rampant at the highest levels of leadership in some of these organizations. And I sat there with him and he kept on telling me things like, well, this is just a little bit too woo for me. And it's a little bit too touchy feeling for me. And I ended up not working with him, but I was grateful in the end to have had that experience because it really helped me to take a stand for I've been doing this work for 20 years. I have refined myself as a psychologist, as a spiritually intelligent leader. And I am so over people calling my work woo and touchy-feely. Like all that does is tell me more about your comfort level with your own emotions than anything else. So when I go into tech, one of the things that I'll say is let's normalize this. Let's stop referring to our spiritual intelligence, our intuition as woo, and let's just let it be normal. I mean, we affectionately call it woo. I don't like that is when you know what I mean? Like when you have that, when there's that edge of criticism or skepticism that comes along with it, that's what I'm just like, no longer willing. That's the other B I have in my bonnet is I'm no longer willing to tolerate that. Like, no, because the future of leadership is emotional intelligence the future of leadership is spiritual intelligence those of us who have access to it that who are beyond awakened who have activated our gifts talents and abilities in the energetic space who are applying those abilities to transform our lives and the lives of other people we're the ones who are going to be people are going to be looking to as lighthouses and way showers for what's to come
1: yeah. And I think that's a really good segue. You know, you're talking about this super high level executive, because um, I think that's another really good piece for, you know, these fence sitters to latch onto is, I mean, I think two things. One, how you've seen, you know, spirituality, spiritual intelligence, that sort of thing, how you've seen it benefit these really high performers, high achievers that's another like <laughs> zone of focus for me like people that i love to to work with i'm just curious your you know experience and perspective with those uh, because from you know anecdotal experience all of the high level you know ceos executives that i you know know not personally necessarily but like i my one of my mentors works with all high level entrepreneurs athletes all the things and i i feel like so many of them do Engage in spiritual stuff, whatever that looks like for them, whether it's you know labeled as woo or whether it's a more you know buttoned up version of it. But um yeah, just curious your your experience with all that.
0: A lot of times when the high-level leaders, like this in the C-suite, the the executives come in, the ones who I work with are already emotionally intelligent. So they recognize that. What they often don't recognize is that in their personalities, they are in probably the top, we'll say top 5% around openness and openness is a personality factor that's associated with creativity and the creative personality, but also as I'm seeing it with intuition and spiritual intelligence. So when you have that high level of openness, you actually almost automatically have access to your psychic or intuitive abilities. Now, everybody I love how people say well everybody's intuitive. Well, yes, yes.
1: To a degree. Like on
0: a no, uh, uh, intuition exists on a normal distribution curve just like every other human characteristic exists on a normal distribution curve, which means that 68% of the population is about average. Then we look at the tails of the curve and that's who when i when i think about the executives who work with me who aren't they don't have a name for it they know that like they know stuff that other people don't know they know that like their careers have gone in really interesting directions sort of at the drop of a hat they can't understand why that is when i point to that aspect of their personality and i help them understand that they actually have access very easily to their creativity to flow to intuition then it kind of drops in and makes sense about oh that's why things have been so easy for me. It's not my hard work. It's not that I just got lucky. It's that literally I have these competencies that have allowed me to have this pretty. You know, not that we we all have hardships, but those synchronicities and those serendipities that come up in our lives seem to happen more regularly when you're tapped into that and understand that that's what's going on for you in terms of your personality. So how you're right. Almost everybody I work with has some kind of spiritual practice, or if they don't, they're very open to starting one. And that's what I say is going to get them to their next level. What got them to the level that they're at has to do often with hard work, grit, tenacity. Nobody ever handed me anything. I had to, you know, sacrifice and blood, sweat and tears and all of those things. And my message is always what got you here is not what's going to get you to the next level. So we have to set aside the things that worked in 2019, like grit, tenacity, hard work, and pick up something different. And that something different has to do with flow. It has to do with creativity. It has to do with hope and gratitude and all of these practices that we know as as people who explore and seek out spiritual experiences know are effective at helping us feel our best. Because the data shows this, that when you feel your best, you perform your best.
1: Yeah and and I think to wrap up to kind of linking all the way back to your story um I would love to touch on just briefly like the link between spirituality and mental health the the disconnection the anxiety uh the you know depression all of that sort of thing because I I really do and this was my experience as well it was your experience you know for so many of us it's like that missing piece when we are so mired in the anxiety and all of these things totally get in the way of us reaching our next level of being high achievers of all the things that we want, you know, for our lives in the future, the five year plan, the 10-year plan, all the things. Because I think that is kind of a missing link for people as well. So um, from your experience, just briefly touch on um that and, you know, maybe personal anecdotes, but also what you've seen with with your clients.
0: Yeah. So what I know for sure is that mental health is your well. And when whether you're in existential crisis, where you're having existential anxiety, existential depression, and BTW, who isn't these days? I mean, there are so many bright, talented, successful people who are looking around, whether it's their corporate positions and saying, oh my gosh, like this company does not align with my values. Or what's the point of all of this? Or is this all there is? Or where is that bright light that I was when I was graduating from high school or 16 and fearless or whatever that is. It's a it's a calling in our hearts that comes forward, but we can't necessarily manage the calling of our hearts, that anxiety or depression that comes up in response as we realize that I'm not living in alignment with what I promised I would come here to do. So we can't necessarily cure that with simple You know, let's write a prescription and have another medication. I think that medication does have its place for some people. Certainly, I've benefited from that in my past, have not had to be on anything for years now because of all the other work that I've done. But that let's stop making ourselves wrong for having anxiety and depression. Because when you look around this world, even we see this in research with young creative people at this point, up until I don't know the last five years or so. The creative young people that we've studied have been pretty, you know, high achievers, pretty optimistic, in flow, knowing where they're headed. And this generation is like, "WTF did I just sign up for?" They're more depressed, more anxious, more worried, more hopeless than any other generation, and that has to do with this shit show we're living out on this planet right now. So. Not to make it about everybody, but just to get really specific to each individual is to curate your mental health and to do the things that seek out trauma, treatment for trauma really seriously. I think that that is the biggest gap between where you are now and where you want to be is that trauma response, where whether you're always fighting, you know, pushing up against stuff or running away from it or freezing or doing a lot of people-pleasing and fawning, those are all trauma responses. And if you're living in that way over and over and over again, you're on this gerbil wheel burnout that unless and until you do something different, it will eventually kill you. I don't mean to sound dramatic about that, but really like your soul can only take so much. So curating your emotions is, is probably the number one thing curating your emotions and your mental health, I would say, whether or not you consider yourself a spiritual person, take care of your mental health. That just makes good sense. And then when you feel your best, now you can make decisions. Wow. Do I want to do an immersion experience? Wow. Do I want to learn meditation? What about Oracle cards might be interesting to me as a different way of knowing, how can I open up this, these worlds to myself that maybe previously were hidden? so it activates the curiosity it activates the creativity because ultimately whether you consider yourself a spiritual person or not i really truly believe that everybody wants to make a contribution everybody wants to somehow make a lasting impression leave a legacy i shouldn't say everybody there are probably people who don't
1: well legacy legacy can take on different forms and you know it doesn't have to be like i Change the world single-handedly. Like I had a great family and that's my legacy is, you know, exactly. Yeah.
0: So we just really want to just be in the, in the space of taking good care of ourselves so that we can, so that we can make the contribution that we came here to make so that we can make the difference, make our lives meaningful, live our lives on purpose. And then that follows into the last bee in my bonnet is, can we stop talking about, I just want to be happy can we stop having happiness be the destination because we will forever be disappointed instead how can I make a difference how can I make a contribution how can I make meaning out of my life that is a that is a far more worthy intention
1: and fulfilling
0: and fulfilling exactly than seeking happiness
1: yeah What even is happiness?
0: Well, right. And it's, you know, and if you're only looking at like, I'm happy because I got a new car and it smells really good for the first six weeks, or I'm happy because I'm in a relationship and with this really, you know, amazing human for the next six weeks. And then after that, it falls off. Well, that's, you know, that's dopamine habituation. That's not happiness. That's a dopamine surge. And then it goes, you get used to it. And then what? So then you're constantly chasing that next high and being high is not equivalent to being happy. That deep-seated satisfaction comes from the exploration of your heart, the exploration of who you are as a human being. And if that takes you down spiritual pathways to discover something new about yourself, do that.
1: Yeah. I love so much what you just said too. And and even in the way that you were speaking about it, asking questions like, I think I referred to it already, but the podcast I have all about asking questions like. And and I think it ties up so beautifully, like full circle moment to science, like what is it? It's asking questions. It's being curious. It's exploration. It's, you know, finding answers and then finding new answers and going a little bit deeper and all the things. And I think that's that's the place that I always like to start with people to just like ask questions, like what is this experience trying to teach me? That sort of thing. So I think that, yeah, I think that tied it up really beautifully. And as we wrap up here, I just have, well, I guess two final questions. I always say it's just one, but it's kind of two. So first one is every episode of the show, I'm sure you heard if you listen to, well, maybe not the trailer, but I do a what the fuck am I doing segment in which I share something that I'm doing in my life. This was inspired by my nomad travels. Um, I've shared about mushroom journeys and all the things. So just something in your life It could be a present, it could be past, really anything that you are just kind of like... What
0: the fuck am I doing? Oh, what the fuck am I doing? First of all, it's so refreshing to be able to just drop F bombs. And-
1: I was raised by a, a Navy man, so <laughs> they're welcome here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> my husband's a native New Yorker and they use the, the F word like it's an adjective. Um, so, what the fuck am I doing? Um, I, when I finished my PhD, was I knew I wanted to move to Arizona and I was dating a guy at the time who already lived here. He was a graduate student in the same program that I was in, but at, at a different school. And we started dating and fell in love. He was this very handsome South American man, you know, the whole thing. I, I shake my head. Because
1: I'm like, the exotic is so appealing. <laughs> yeah. Like typical
0: graduate school romance. But anyway, I moved here. Uh, I I, I decided to move here, but I decided I was not moving here until I had a job. So I was not going to just move like, and be with a dude, like I had to actually pursue my, my work. I got my job at ASU as a psychologist. I think at that time, I think it was the best possible position for any new psychologist coming out of a postdoc is this position that I, that I got. I was so grateful for that. And I That really set the tone for my career and the work that I did in the early, in the early years of my PhD. The, what the fuck was I doing was recognizing once I moved here, that this guy was an everyday pot smoker. And you can see me. I'm like, I'm like, what are we doing? I thought, and I was gaslighting myself. I thought maybe I'm just not cool enough because I, At that time, I think I smoked pot like once when I was in my thirties, because like, I wanted to see what the big deal was and I didn't get it. I've never gotten it. Like I, I just never, I don't get it. So for somebody like me, it just didn't make sense. And yet here I was with this person and the, what the fuck was I doing was I didn't believe in myself enough to be able to rely on myself fully to dive into my career and to be able to make a life for myself. I was over-relying on somebody who I shouldn't have been over-relying on. And it's so typical of gifted girls. I think we have this sense of, you know, being able to see the highest and best in other people. Yep. I'm <laughs> rolling my eyes. <laughs> and my God. Well, and so I started, oh, I know we're at, we're almost, uh, but You're this is so, it's going. so telling. So I started a women in science and engineering program at ASU where I was a psychologist and it was all about leadership. And I did all of my positive psychology stuff with this. And one of the things that I would tell these young women was don't date potential. Does me <laughs> I know, I know. Me too. Oh bless. So whatever. If your person, it doesn't whatever, I said dude, but whatever. If your person is like has a, it, oh, he's got he or she or they have all of this potential, but they're laying on the couch smoking weed and playing video games, maybe that's not your person. So I'm agonizing over whether I break up with this guy. This is like literally years, two, two and a half years into me being here, living with him and running these programs at ASU. And I talked to my colleague who was helping me with the WISE program. And she said, Robin, I think you ought to take your own advice. What do you tell the girls? I'm like, oh shit. And that was one of those moments where I'm like, okay. And I'm so grateful for Barbara for saying that and reflecting that back to me because that's what I needed to hear. How dare I stay in such a toxic And by the way, if it were, I was gonna say if it were just marijuana, it wouldn't maybe the circumstances would have been slightly different. But there were a lot of things that was like the thing I could point to, but there were a lot of things that were going sideways. And ultimately I outgrew him, but it was such a hard because I had all of that trauma around my parents' divorce. I had to do all of this trauma work at the time, but I had to, I couldn't stay anymore. So that was my. WTF.
1: So hard to take our own advice sometimes. <laughs> I feel it and then when mind. you have, a, you know, that that's a
0: good friend totally. when they're willing to stand there with the mirror and say, you say this to these girls. And she didn't say, how dare you? Cause she's from North Dakota and she would never say anything so like aggressive, but that was kind of her. like, what are you doing? And I remember sitting back in my chair going, Oh, all right
1: here we go. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say on this. I feel like we'll have to <laughs> bring you back and have a whole conversation about this because there's so much I want to say. Oh, yeah, don't date don't potential. Uh, whew, mic drop. Um, and very, very last piece. Um, thank you so much. This has been so, mm-hmm. so, so much fun. Um, so just plug yourself, let everybody know where they can find you, connect with you, all the things.
0: So Instagram, dr.robinmckay.com, R-O-B-Y-N, McKay. Um, sorry, that's not a dot com, that's just Instagram. Um, .com is my website. I have a leadership quiz that pops up after like 10 seconds or something on that website. I love people to take that leadership quiz because I think that when you're a high achiever, the more you can understand how you're wired in terms of leadership, the easier it is for you to follow your flow and your soul's path. So the results of that quiz are actually, they actually give what your sole purpose is as that kind of leader. So I think that that's a really special thing. I'd love to share that. That is on my website, drrobinmckay.com. And because I'm Gen X, I'm still on Facebook, but you also find me on LinkedIn. That's one of my favorite places to be. I do a LinkedIn live show every Tuesday that is also over on YouTube as well. So those are the places where I am.
1: It's so good to be here with you yeah oh my gosh thank you so much this was so so much fun i feel like there's so much value in there so i'm really excited for people to listen and i'm just so glad we are connected so thank you so much for being here all right i hope you enjoyed that conversation with robin i highly highly recommend you visit her website and at least take the quiz that pops up right there on the homepage. there is so much information on there um, it's a leadership quiz Uh, And so much about your purpose and uh, I mean, just so much good stuff on there. So I highly, highly recommend you check that out and maybe pick, pick up a copy of her book as well. It's called Smart Girls in the 21st Century. I just grabbed my own copy and I'm starting to dig in and I can't wait to finish it. There's I'm already loving it. So definitely recommend you connect with her. I'm sure she would love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with a friend um, you can also leave a five-star rating and review, as always, on Apple Podcasts. I appreciate it so much. I read everyone, and I, I'm i just so grateful because it helps me get on more amazing guests like Robin, helps me grow the show, and also, as always, um, offer is still there to DM me a screenshot of your review before you send it in, and I have a super secret, really fun playlist to share with you just as a thank you for supporting me, supporting the show, and helping me grow. And let's see, last little bit from me, I will leave you with my musing of the day. <laughs> so the other weekend I was falling asleep uh, after the Cascade show that I mentioned in last week's episode. If you caught that, uh, go check out my random musing there if you didn't. But I was falling asleep in this hotel room and you know, just having one of the, those nights where you're just a little bit excited a little bit wired so it's taking you a little bit longer to fall asleep than normal and i just was struck by the thought how interesting is it like the experience of falling asleep like you're just there you're breathing <laughs> just laying down hanging out and then all of a sudden you're asleep and you have literally no idea when it happens you really have no sense of the time it actually takes you to fall asleep 5 minutes could feel like 5 hours but it was really only 5 minutes just a really bizarre but also kind of cool experience to fall asleep. I don't know if you've ever stopped to just appreciate that, but I don't know, just another weird random part of the human experience that I just find super fascinating. Next time you're falling asleep, maybe you will take a moment to appreciate it. All right, that is it from me for today's episode. I will see you here next week, same time, same place, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.